Food. Who doesn't love food? Especially being a, as of late, chubby Greek kid with an insatiable appetite, I just can't resist a good meal. I'm sure someone can relate, right? Well, with that being said, today I'm interviewing the creator of a relatively new company called Uprise Foods. They cater to a vegan community as well as, in general, health-conscious eaters. So without further ado, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. It's really a pleasure to be here, especially for your first, the first episode of this podcast that I think is re a really great idea. Thank you. So let's start somewhere simple. On your website, you share the story of how Uprise Foods began. Could you give any viewers who haven't read this article an idea of how your company was started? Well, of course. So I started out as a food blogger. I was blogging about issues to do with food and also um, the body products that we use, um, namely all of the chemicals that are in these that can be harmful to us. And after a while, I decided that I could have a greater impact on people's lives if I was actually making food rather than just writing about it. Of course. So at what point during the company's beginning did you come up with the idea for Nutrit? Would you say you had an idea before the name or vice versa? Great question. So I had the product first. I was doing the blog. I started to, I started to get into dairy-free um, you know, dairy, dairy alternatives because of some family issues. My, both my brother and my father had prostate cancer and I started to look into prostate cancer and dairy kept coming up as one of the potential causes. So I started cutting down on my dairy and at home I was making this cashew Parmesan and everybody loved it. You know, I'd kind of tweaked some recipes I'd already found online and started to make my own version. And uh, next thing you know, you know, a lot of people started liking it, people besides my mother. And, you know, at that point, I said to myself, you know, why don't I start looking into a food business? I'd never had a food business before. I had had two other businesses of my own, but food was a very, a very different thing. So, you know, I had the product and I started to research how to start a food business. That's great. So how long is Upler... Excuse me, how long has Uprise Foods been founded for? Sure, so it's a little, about three and a half years now. You know, I started very humbly um, making, making the product at a, at a place I was renting here on the South Shore of Boston. And it got into a couple stores. I started selling it online also. And then I just built organically. You know, after it got into a couple stores here on the South Shore, I'll give a shout out to Good Health Natural Foods in Quincy because... They brought me in. They were my first store. They gave my product a chance. And they have two locations south of Boston, in Hanover and in Quincy, Mass. And, you know, it started doing great in both stores. Then I moved on to another local uh, store with two locations called the Fruit Center. And then I started just building up from there. I would drive around every weekend to natural food stores. I'd bring the product. I'd talk to them about it. And, you know, it slowly started to take off. That's great. So how far do you want to expand this business? You know, I've had a lot of different ideas over the last few years. And to be honest, um, one thing that's kind of kept me from expanding right now is the fact that Nuchit has been so darn popular. You know, right away I said, well, I want to do this product and this product and this product. Um, but we've gone from those few stores just three years ago and me working a, whole, a side job, you know, so I was working seven days a week to now 
I work for myself and it supports, that Nuchit supports myself and the family, but we're still so busy. We're really focusing on the expansion of Nuchit. And you know, the sky is the limit really with the one product. And I hope to have more products in the, I do have more products in the pipeline for the day when I'm ready to be able to kind of expand. Whether that means hiring people, having someone make the products for me, we'll see. But like any business owner, I kind of think to myself, like I just, you know, I, I don't, even though it's very successful, I try to never relax for a minute and go, wahoo, you know, we're doing great. Yeah, I'm yeah. always thinking about the next type of stores, um, the next chains, how to increase our distribution and, you know, try to reach and try to reach more people. Sometimes I get a little bit down because I say to myself, boy, I wish I had more products. And then I always say to myself, I don't think Heinz ketchup was complaining for 80 years when they only had one ketchup and it was what America used. So I kind of try to say, say, say to myself, Nuchit is the Heinz of, of, you know, cashew Parmesan, except we're completely different because we're organic and fair trade. Yep. That's uh, that's very reasonable and understanding. I have to say that you offer some really good recipes on the website and that the recipe section seems to be a growing resource. My family and I have tried out some recipes and they all use Nuchit really well. This brings me to my next question. How do you come up with or acquire these recipes? That's a great question. So let me tell you first about why we have the recipes, you know, cause I love to cook. And through this business, I've learned that a lot of other people like to cook. And I've also learned that a lot of people don't like to cook. But when I started a newsletter, you know, we all go to websites these days and you get that annoying pop-up screen that asks you to join their newsletter. And we had one too. And I would send out the usual emails, hey, Labor Day sale or Christmas, buy one, get one free. And I, and I realized that I hate those emails. You know, I get bombarded with them yeah, every yeah. day. Some companies send me three a day, like 15% off, 20% off. And I realized people don't want this and it's not what my company is about. So then I switched it to a recipe club and we came up with the idea. I say we, because I worked on it with a graphic designer and, and he actually came up with a, with, a great, with a great logo for it, but it's called the Eat to Live Recipe Club. And once I formed that, um, I was working with a local recipe creator, but then I decided that I really needed a food photographer too. And I found um, a, a brilliant artist up in Canada who is a recipe creator and a food, um, food photographer. She's a vegan and she creates our recipes. Okay. Her name is Jasmine Kada and she creates our recipes. Um, and I, I do try some out. I've got to say, I don't have the time to, to make them all. Although I do, I do try to make all the ones that I think I have time for because they're amazing. So now every two There's weeks, a lot of options. There are, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now every two weeks we send out a recipe um, to everybody you know, on our list and we get a lot of positive feedback. We put them on Facebook, we put them on Instagram and now we're expanding. I'm still working with Jasmine, but I'm at also through the fall, I'm gonna be adding some more recipe creators and we'll be getting a little bit of, of diversity in there too. All right, well, uh, tell me more about your recipe club, if you can. Sure, yeah, no problem. So like I said, so we do send, we send them out every two weeks 
And one very cool thing about the recipe club is that we just redid our website. So I noticed that. Yeah, it's it, thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate that that you noticed. Um, and a lot of work went into it. I built the first website. Um, I'd had a background, uh, you know, I worked in a, you know, web design for for about 10 years. So I built the first one and it was good. But now that the company has gained more national recognition, I decided to get a developer to help me out. And one of the things this developer does, he's actually designed an app that does recipes. Um, it, uh, you put in all the ingredients and everything, but then it makes a beautiful recipe page online. So now when you go to our website, the, the recipe club, you can go to all, you can go to all of our recipes. You can download them. You can share them easily. And it looks really nice. That's great. So, uh, what type of ingredients actually go into Nuchit? So Nuchit is 80% cashews. And then it has nutritional yeast, garlic, hemp seeds, brown rice flour, and sea salt. So very simple, clean ingredients. Everything is organic with the exception of our nutritional yeast. Our nutritional yeast is non-GMO and made in the United States. And one of the biggest things is our fair trade cashews. So we've been using fair trade cashews since 2017, about a month after we started. And now we're actually fair trade certified by fair trade international. We're only one of a hundred companies in America that's fair trade certified. And let me tell you about why we, why people should care about fair trade cashews. You know, if there's one kind of takeaway from this podcast, I hope that people really can learn about cashews. So cashews are actually in the poison Ivy family. So I, I never know yeah, that. That's amazing, weird. right? Nobody would. <laughs> So they have they have a they have a chemical in them. I'm sure I'll mispronounce it, but it's called urushol. Okay, so urushol is in cashews. It's in mangoes. It's in poison ivy. Okay, and what happens is the cashew grows on a fruit. Okay, so the fruit cashew fruit is called the cashew apple, although it actually looks like a kind of a, a big bell pepper. So a cashew tree looks like this giant tree covered with bell peppers. And each bell pepper, actually the cashew apple, has a cashew on the bottom. But the cashew is in a hard shell, okay? So these hard shells have to be broken open. They're, they're usually, there's usually a heat process involved, but there's also a hand processing involved in this. So the urushol can get onto the workers' hands, it can get into their lungs, it can get into their eyes, and it can cause a lot of damage to the workers. And at the same time, these workers are in Vietnam um, and India are two of the biggest um, produ uh, cashew producing countries and the working conditions can suck. So, you know, women might be bringing their children to work. Everybody's getting the poison ivy type conditions, you know, and, and it can be really tough. So we decided at that point when we learned about this, we only want to use fair trade cashews where the workers rights the workers have rights, they're working in a, you know, safe conditions and they're being paid a living wage. So that's, uh, that, that's, that's all of our ingredients. And like I said, I'm most proud of those fair trade cashews. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Actually. I never, I never knew that. So I don't think, I don't think many people, many people do. If you go to our Instagram page, you'll see some beautiful pictures of the cashew fruit and 
almost every single person I've ever met, except for some people from India, will always say, I had no idea. And I always make them feel better when I say, neither did I. <laughs> so, um, how many tries did it take to create such a delicious product? I'd say for Nuchit, I probably worked for about six months on the recipe. You know, one thing that makes our recipe a little bit different from what you'd see online uh, if you just tried to make your own cashew parm is we add organic hemp seeds and the hemp seeds actually um, bring it up to two grams of protein per serving. Hemp seeds are an amazing superfood um, and, you know, completely different from like marijuana and everything. They don't have any THC. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't have that, you know, people's, they won't show up in your bloodstream or anything, but they're an incredible superfood. Um, and so we add the hemp seeds and I'm really proud of that. Um, then we also add just a little bit about two tables. No, I mean, two teaspoons of brown rice flour to every four ounce bottle. So the brown rice flour, some people think it's a filler, but it's not a filler at all. It's only, it's only, like I said, about two teaspoons. And what it does is it, it helps things stick. So if you put it on some popcorn or something like that, you know, it'll actually help it stick to the butter or whatever you're using on the popcorn. So we added a few ingredients. We kept trying to work on the consistency, how long you should grind it for, because some people like it a little more chunky. Some people like it a little more powdery. So it's trying to like please everybody. Garlic was also a big issue is how much of that garlic to put into. I've learned that people have garlic allergies. A lot of people don't like garlic, but garlic really kind of ties it together. You know, it's, it's got a nice yeah, yeah. salty garlicky taste. Um, the salt is actually another ingredient that I wouldn't mind mentioning because a lot of people think Nuchit tastes salty and I like the salty flavor myself, but with these days, so many people concerned about sodium, I learned a lot and that's that sea salt is actually low in sodium but it really pops in the mouth. So if you wanna have salt, a nice salty taste, but keeping that sodium level down, use sea salt. Because our product with less than 90 milligrams of, of sodium per serving is actually considered a low sodium food. I personally, I think the, the garlic actually stands out just a little bit more than the salt, although it's a little more mild, I think but it's the flavors in your product just work so well together. It, I put like way too much of it on my pasta, like way too much. Hey, you're not, a, you're not alone. I think, you know, at least once a week, I get a message on social media, a private message on social media by somebody telling me, you know what? I just eat this by the spoonful when no one's looking. So, you know, you can, you can pile it on and you're definitely not alone. <laughs> So um, are there any future vegan-friendly items or toppings you may have planned out? So there are. Um, you know what? I, I've got to plead the fifth here in that I don't want to give them away. I can tell you some things I've thought about doing and have scrapped, and that's uh, one, of, one of the big ones that I like is pesto because making pesto with Nuchit tastes amazing. You know, pesto traditionally, it's a very simple food to make, you know, You've got lemon, you've got salt, you've got um, pine nuts, and you know, very, and then of course your fresh basil. Um, but making it with Nuchit instead of Parmesan is delicious. But you know, when you when you're launching a new product, you really got to look to yourself like what else is out there. And if you go to the supermarket, there's plenty of pesto. So I decided not to do pesto. Um, but I do have a couple things planned. But 
how about we'll pick that up on another podcast in the future when I launch one. All right. Sounds great. So um, where could someone go about buying Nutrit? It's a great question. So if you're on the East Coast, especially in the Northeast, you're in luck. We're in over 250 stores, primarily in the, primarily in the Northeast from, from Maine to Washington, D.C. And if you do live in the Northeast, we're at a lot of major chains such as Roach Brothers, Big Y, Mom's Organic Market down around the D.C. and Philadelphia area, and then at over 200 independent natural food stores. We are also in some stores that are Ohio, um, Texas, California, but if you're not in the Northeast, we're coming to you soon in stores. However, you can always find us on our website. And if you use Amazon, Amazon is a great way to purchase our products. They're definitely a couple more dollars than you would find them in stores on Amazon. But if you have prime, you get the free shipping. Of course. So, um, this brings us to social and fair trade questions. Social being uh, about the black-owned vegan startups that you've helped support. So this brings me to my next question. You raised money for black-owned vegan startups like Cabo Vegans and Discover Vegans. It's great to see your business push an all-around message about equality. How did the fundraiser go? The fundraiser was a great learning experience. So what happened was, you know, I'm working seven days a week, like I've mentioned, you know, to try to make, to try to make this company as successful as it can be. Of course, I do take some days off here and there, but I work a lot. So when there were the protests starting, you know, from George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and all the folks out there who have, you know, suffered, you know, so, so horribly. Um, I decided that I wanted to go to a protest and I said to myself like, well, I'm working every day. When can I take a break for a protest? And I, it was at a time when COVID was raging. Amazon demand was like never before. And I literally couldn't fulfill my orders if I took a day off. So I, so I was sitting there when there was a Sunday afternoon, there was a big protest going on in Boston. And I said to myself, what could I do rather than just going and holding a sign for a day, which might make me feel good and might, you know, make the crowd one person larger. What can I actually do for equality as a business owner that might make a, a, a difference? You know, I, I, all of a sudden I realized, hey, Ben, you've got a business here. Maybe you can make a bigger difference than just going to a protest. So you've, you've definitely got a decent foundation for stuff like this. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I thought. I was like, you know, it, you've got a tool here, why not use it for people's advantages? So what I did was I started a GoFundMe called Uprise for Equality. Because Uprise Foods, you know, I started the company, literally the name of the word means so much. It's Uprise. So I wanna uprise against a food system that's not fair to workers. It's not fair, it's, it's cruel to animals, it poisons the earth. So I said to myself, you know, we, we need to uprise, not just for food, but for people. So I started this GoFundMe and, you know, I was able to raise $1,000 for two companies and just under $1,000 for a third company. And while that was really rewarding, it also taught me a lot about people. So we advertised the fundraiser on Facebook. And I've got to say, 
every morning I would wake up and there'd probably be about 20 to 30 white supremacist racist messages on our posts. That's you know, terrible. It was, it was shocking. Now, when I told the black owned business owners I was working with, you know, um, about this, they said, welcome to our world. And that's when I realized, you know, these types of comments that I'm seeing, these are the types of comments that people, all sorts of people of color, um, that they're faced with every day that I just don't get to see, you know? So it was a wake up call. And, you know, I'm really glad that I was able to help those people out because they were all startups that had literally kind of just started getting off the ground. Discover Vegans is a, is a Boston, based vegan cater company. And she, she's actually been around a little longer. Um, Sabrina, who runs that company. Um, but Cabo Vegans, they're down in Brockton, Massachusetts. And they were just starting up. They make like a vegan lobster roll and a whole bunch of traditional um, food. So, uh, you know, I was really, I was really happy to be able to help them out. That's great. So um, I'm glad to see this post on your Facebook. What do you think about the power behind social media supporting black owned businesses? Can you repeat that? What do you think about the power behind social media supporting black owned businesses? I think it's been amazing. You know, um, social media, without social media, where would we be? You know, who would know about George Floyd? Who would know about Breonna Taylor, you know? who would know about anything right look uh, especially looking back through history it's like it's like the way that like uh, like police brutality and like violence in that nature has been reported through the news especially back in like the 50s and 60s it's definitely changed because of the fact that we have instagram and facebook and all that so continue yeah absolutely you know, I, I, Facebook, it, Facebook, social media in general, we all know it has its ups and downs. I mean, just like, just like people are able to get the word out about these things, we've all been reading about how many hate groups there are on Facebook these days too. You know, um, the, the killing we saw the other night in Kenosha, um, you know, this was done by militias that all were saying, gave a call to arms on Facebook. So, I think social media has a role to play, um, but then it also is about action. You know, you really just got to roll up your sleeves and, and do something besides posting. You know, I, I, I give everybody credit. You know, we have a Black Lives Matter sign in front of our house, and I, I love driving around the South Shore and, and seeing Black Lives Matters stuff and everything. But it also, you know, it goes beyond just putting up signs and posting things. I think we all need to be able to take concrete action. I would like to put into this, this though, that, you know, all of everything that's going on um, with equality has made me reflect on a lot of things. And, you know, well, I unequivocally support Black Lives Matters and so does my company. I also have a lot of respect for law enforcement, for the folks who protect us every day. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that not everybody's bad. You know, if your house gets broken into, we always hope that the police will be there to help, you know, or if there's some type of tragic accident, the first responders are there to help. So I do like to always throw in there that while I do support these groups 
And very proudly, I think that everybody, everybody needs to learn to respect one another, basically, you know? With everything, there's always going to be a good and a bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no matter what you have, you know, whether, whether it's groups of activists or groups of law enforcement, unfortunately, it's human nature that there's always going to be some bad apples. It's just kind of the way it goes. You know, and I think we all need to focus on, on the good people and, uh, and try to figure out together with all the good people what we can do to make the world a better place. So you just became fair trade certified. Tell me about that. Yeah, so like I mentioned before, um, you know, the fair trade cashews, it's a big issue with us. And it, while I always wanted to become fair trade certified, um, well, we've been using the fair trade cashews since 2017, um, it is costly. So, you know, one the reason why it is costly for companies is you actually, um, there's, there's fees you can pay to be fair trade certified, um, but you also are contributing back a percentage of your profits. Um, to the fair trade movement. And what fair trade does is it does exactly that. It gives a fair price to the producers, you know? Um, and those, those type, the prices, the whole method for which people are paid and all everything is produced and tracked is, is carefully audited, okay, by, by Fair Trade International. There's several fair trade companies out there that you can get certified by, but there's only one that is super stringent and that is Fair Trade International, you know? So we just, they were the ones who founded the fair trade movement and we're really proud to be working with them. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, they recently asked me, you know, what, what's one word that fair trade means to you? And I said, it's about respect. You know, I think we need to respect everybody we work with, whether that's employees, you know, the people I'm hiring to do recipes, anybody in my food chain, the suppliers I work with, you know, it's just about respect. If we all respect each other and we say to ourselves, hey, you know, how much are the people that make our food getting? You know, one of the, one of the big problems is in America, I don't know if you know this, but in America, we have the cheapest food in the world. Okay. So, Everybody in the world, the average, the average person around the world spends about 15% of the money they make in a year on food. In America, it's only 6%. And you might say to yourself, well, that's great. It's not because yeah, yeah. we have so much cheap food and there's, there's cheap food is either grown with chemicals that are bad for us or it's just empty calories, things like chips and soda which unfortunately, that's all a lot of folks can afford to buy. You know, we, we all, we all kind of raise an eyebrow at that shopping cart that goes by and it's full of cheap hot dog buns and hot dogs and soda and chips. Well, the sad thing is that that working mother who supports her five kids on her single income might not be able to afford anything more than those cheap calories. But eventually we have to pay the price. So when we eat cheap food, somebody's paying the price, either the producer or us through our health. You know, when we have, we have, a, we have an epidemic of obesity in this country, we have the highest rate of diabetes, stroke, heart attacks, all those things. America is number one 
When we say America's number one, we're number one for obesity and many of the health problems, major health problems. And there's a reason for that. It's our diet, you know? So, you know, well, that kind of strays. I know I'm getting off the subject a little fair trade, but I think in general, we need to learn to pay more for our food. That's not saying Nucha is expensive and I'm trying to make a pitch for that, but we all, we all need to take a look at the, what we're shopping for and, you know, vote with our dollar, as I always say, you know, by making a purchasing decision. When you buy something fair trade, when you buy something organic, it might take a couple more bucks out of your wallet, but if you can afford it, go for it. Because that's, every time you do that, it's telling the, it's telling the store you buy that from that that's something that you believe in and they're gonna order more. Now, I understand everybody can't afford to buy fair trade food and can't afford to buy organic food. And I certainly hope that over time, there can be systematic changes so that that can, uh, you know, be a, be a situation that gets better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's see, I, I never knew that we don't spend that. Like the amount of money that goes into those things isn't as much as other countries. Yeah. I mean, you know, other countries don't have things like we have, like if you go to say, let's use McDonald's as a good example. Okay. The first time I went to France, Many years ago, it was before I was vegan. Um, you know, I, I went there. My I was meeting my future wife. You know, she's French, and I'd gone to I'd gone to meet her. We met online playing a video game. There we go. That's another podcast for you. <laughs> so I went to France, and when I went to McDonald's, I was shocked because you had you had a whole half of the menu that was organic. You know, and, and things are more expensive. But here, if you go to a fast food restaurant, it's all about two for three. You know, you get two hamburgers for three bucks and a large, add a large soda for another dollar. Think about it. An animal died and you're only paying a couple bucks to eat them. I mean, something's That's wrong just, there, you know? When, I, feel, I feel like I've heard that before, but like, personally, I... I, I never knew that there were ever like organic options for McDonald's anywhere. The rest of the world, my friend, um, you know, fat, even fast food, if you go to other countries, it's remarkably different. And in most countries, much higher grade. You know, very few countries um, eat the low grade foods that we have here. You know, like if you, most European countries, you're not gonna find the super, the things like the super cheap sandwich meats when you go to a restaurant, you know, in many European countries, they've banned um, fountain sodas, you know, because people just drink too much and get overweight. Um, so, so yeah, though, the average, like I said, it's 15% to 6%. So we spend half as much on average as the rest of the world on food, you know, and, and, and it's sad because, you know, a lot of people, because of that, were conditioned. So people will go in the organic section and they say, oh my God, it's so expensive, you know, or, you know, they'll look at something like, well, the organic bananas are tiny and they get brown so quick. Well, you know what? That's what happens when they're not filled with chemicals, you know? So yeah, yeah. you really get what you pay for, 
you know, and I think that's very, very true about everything in life. You get what you pay for and one way or the other, you're going to pay for it. You can eat cheap food your whole life and maybe you're going to save, you know, hundred thousand dollars over the course of your life. Well, guess what? your cancer operations are going to cost over $100,000. So one way or the other, you're going to be paying for cheap food. So what vegan festivals have you attended? Also, can anyone expect you to attend any more festivals in the future coming? That's a great question, especially after such a serious topic, you know? Yep. So that's, that's a really good one. So, so vegan festivals are often referred to as veg fests. Um, and they're not just for vegans, they're very inclusive. Um, the only difference between a veg fest and another major food festival would be that there's no animal products at all, okay? But they're food fests. If you like to eat, you should go to a veg fest. It, if you like to eat healthy, you should go to a veg fest. If you like to eat a double cheeseburger dripping in cheese, you should go to a veg fest. If you want a meatball sub or ice cream, you should go to a veg fest. You know, they have everything. Um, and there's also a lot of animal advocacy booths, so you can learn about different animal rights issues and everything too. So some of our favorite veg fests here in New England, um, every October, you have the Boston Veg Fest, which is held in West Roxbury, the Boston area. Um, and that's an amazing one that's, uh, that's thrown by the Boston Vegetarian Society. Another good one is uh, the New England Veg Fest, and that's out in Worcester, Mass, usually around April. And then this year, we also did the inaugural Rhode Island Veg Fest. Um, we've done a couple Veg Fests in New Hampshire, New, the New Hampshire Veg Fest. Usually most states have them, and some states, such as here in Massachusetts, have, have more than one. Um, so they're incredible. There's nothing like being in a room of 5,000 people who all want to eat animal-based foods and care about animals, you know? I mean, it's just, it's a very special crowd, you know? I mean, there's just, I'd like to say that it's almost jerk-free. Although, <laughs> like we said earlier, there's always a couple bad apples in every crowd. But I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, magical experience going to VegFest. You get to try a lot of food. You get to meet a lot of people. Usually they have speakers you can go hear, you know, and they're a lot brighter than me. You know, I love those speakers they have at VegFest. So, um, so they're a lot of fun. Um, for now, the, you know, you ask the question, when will we be going again? That's a very good question. I mean, this year was a, a huge bite for us with, I mean, obviously VegFests are a very good way for us to meet people. They're also a way that we depend on to make money every year. Um, a, a substantial a part of our income in the past has been from VegFest. And we don't have that this year. So that was a big loss for us. Um, and I can't wait for there to be festivals again. I do know that everything through, through December 2020 has been canceled. Um, and that goes for everywhere. So, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know when I, we'll be doing them again, but I, I can't wait. Maybe next spring in Worcester, that could, that could be a potential as long as uh, we stay all stay healthy between now and then. We've been planning this interview for a while, so I think I wrote that months ago, months ago. But yeah. I didn't want to delete it because, like, it's it's good to know that, like, you may go in the future once COVID and quarantine has passed, which may take a while. Yeah, the festivals are really great. And we do do other food festivals besides VegFest, vegan festivals. I mean, New Chip, while it's great for vegans, um, it's great for vegetarians, 
everybody loves it. You know, I mean, you know, people with, you know, it's also gluten free. It's soy free. So it's really available to a lot of people. So we go to a variety of food festivals because people love to put it nutrient on everything. So, um, what is the future of veganism and plant-based diets? Do you see it going mainstream? So the last couple of years has been amazing um, for what is usually referred to in the in the mainstream as plant-based. You know, um, so you know the words they're not quite interchangeable. I should throw that out there. You know, being vegan means using no animal products in any part of your lifestyle. So you buy a new car, you're looking for something without leather. You know, you need some new shoes, you're looking for leather-free shoes. Whereas plant-based really refers to your diet. Um, but we've seen the plant-based burgers over the last couple of years have all of a sudden brought plant-based foods. It's skyrocketed, you know, with the Impossible Burger at Burger King, um, you know, the uh, the beyond the beyond meat, you know, they're being used Burger King, Dunkin Donuts, all these big places, you know, and it's mostly fast food. And I'm not saying that stuff is good for you. But what it's done is it's created a national dialogue about the changing the changes in the food landscape in general. So and that's that's been amazing. I would say that every single almost every week at the supermarkets I go to, whether it's Whole Foods, Stop and Shop, Star Market, all the local supermarkets around the Boston area here, I would say that I see new plant-based vegan foods every week. You know, you can barely keep up with the growth. So I do think it's going to go mainstream. I would say that plant-based eating will be a first step and that probably veganism will follow. You know, I, I, you know, when I gave up animal products, it was for my health. But then like a lot of people, you health might motivate you but then you start to learn more about animal rights and i think that that my own journey will be very much reflected in the general mainstream public i think a lot of people are going to start eating plant-based foods because they taste great i mean you can go out and you can get some killer burgers and sausages and all those things that people that the carnivores love you can get those things now and once you start eating those things on a regular basis, you kind you slow you start to hesitate more the next time you see something that's available and it's an animal product because you start saying to yourself, "Why should an animal suffer just for me to have a quick meal?" Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I think more and more people will start. You know, the more people who are you know eating these foods out, getting them at the supermarkets, it'll slowly replace the animal products. And yeah, I, I, I definitely, I see, I see plant-based eating going mainstream and veganism will be a natural growth of that because we're, we're coming up with so many products. We're coming up with so many faux leathers, you know, thing, things that replace all these animal products that why do you need it anymore? I mean, if one of the big things is price, like I said, we like cheap stuff in America, whether it's that leather jacket that just went on sale from $800 to $400 or the leather, the leather couch that's coming, that's, that's the leather, you know, the whole living room set that's cheap. We like cheap things. We like quality products, most people, but we of want course. things to be affordable. So once 
once you're coming out with animal product alternatives that replace these things that are affordable, more and more people will buy them. You know, I can't imagine a car, say 20 years from now, I cannot imagine a car that would have real leather in it, you know, because people just aren't gonna want it anymore. Maybe there will be one. Maybe there will be a one luxury car brand that has actual real leather that you can order special order. But I really see most of that stuff being in the past. Um, I think because of the environment, um, you know, with the, with the global warming that's caused by animal production, I, I think probably maybe after my lifetime, but I could easily see an earth that say 100 or 200 years from now, people will say, oh my God, they ate real animals back then. You know, I, that, and I don't think that that's too far-fetched an idea. It's really not. It's, right. it's something good to like keep with you because it can give you hope in just everyday life and make you feel good about the thing about your lifestyle choices and about the beliefs you hold and just the list can go on really absolutely yeah so uh last question actually um sadly i've I, before i say before i continue i just want to say from the from the conversations we've held before this uh podcast this interview um, to now, I've learned a lot from you. You're you're a very knowledgeable person. I'm sure that there's many other vegans and vegan uh, business owners out there who have the same knowledge, if not more, in some way, shape, or form. But it's just being a new, a newly, being a vegan who just newly started uh, following this lifestyle and learning about the the social matters that go into it it means a lot to me to hear this from you because this is just i like i said i was eager to do this because i just i wanted to hear what you i actually really wanted to hear what you had to say to the questions i had so hey thank you so much and before we get to that last question you know i'd like to say you know building on that and i mentioned it earlier too you know I'm really proud of my accomplishments and what I've done with this company, but I still know so little too. You know, I'm still only three years into the food business. Um, you know, if people, there, there's so many incredible resources out there for vegans these days or for anybody who wants to kind of explore a plant-based diet. Um, I'd like to say that my wake, make wake up call, well, it was from the family issues um, with, with prostate cancer. One of the big things too is I went and saw a doctor uh, speak at the Dana-Farber Cancer um, Institute and his name was Dr. Michael Greger. And Dr. Michael Greger, he has a website called nutritionfacts.org. That's nutritionfacts.org. And Dr. Greger travels the world speaking mostly to medical students and at VegFest and all sorts of different crowds, but he talks to a lot of medical schools um, about the positive benefits of eating plants, of a vegan diet. He has a great book called How Not to Die. Um, but I've learned in this journey, you know, just like I knew nothing about a food business and owning a food business has been an incredible learning experience, especially learning about distribution and sales. Um, it's been a huge learn, a lot of learning curves, um, but also learning about veganism and, you know, the work people have done in the past. 
uh, you know, you've got vegans going back thousands of years in world history. And learning about those things, so many leaders today, um, I'm just glad that, you know, I'm, I'm a very small player in today's vegan market, but it's great to be a little piece of that. And I really respect all those people who, who know so much more than me. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to hear some of them on some of your future podcasts. Hopefully. Uh, I am trying to plan a few things out right now, so that could happen. Uh, but I, that's all I'm going to say. So on to the last question. If there was one piece of advice you could give to a young entrepreneur, what would it be? I love this question. Uh, so before I answer that, I'd like to say that, you know, when I went to, I went to business, I went to two business schools. I went to first a community college here in the Boston area um, for business administration. And I took entrepreneurial entrepreneurship classes. Uh, then I went to Northeastern university um, for management. And at both schools, I met a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, but at the same time, I also met so many people who didn't want, who, who kind of, they're brilliant people, but they didn't want to start their own business because of something. They were afraid of failure. Okay. So what I would say to every, everybody out there who has a business idea, do it. Don't be afraid of failure. You certainly might fail. This is my third, this is my third business that's made money. It, I, you know, I hesitate to say successful. This business has been successful. I had two previous ventures that they were successful at times, you know, but I've also had ventures that have failed and you can't be afraid to fail. That's the only way you're going to learn to make mistakes. However, we live in a world where we judge ourselves and we're very much afraid of other people judging us. Okay. But forget about it. Don't judge yourself on failure. We all make mistakes. We all fail at things. You just got to pull yourself up by the boot bootstraps, wake up the next day and try to do it again. So if I said to any, my advice is don't be afraid of failure, be brave. Okay. I think that almost everybody in this world has the ability and the ideas to form their own business. Just go for it. You know, you don't need to worry about keep to keep your other job, keep working. You know, I, I, for two and a half years, I worked seven days a week, you know, putting on the shirt, going into the office every day, coming home, working on uprise and then working on uprise every single weekend. So keep your job, but don't be afraid to try out your dream. You know, whether it's making something by hand or providing a service for people, just go for it. You know, just like you're doing right here with your first podcast, you know, just, thank you. Yep. Just go, just go for it. Give it a try. The, you're going to make some mistakes. I've made a lot with this company, you know, not knowing anything about the food business, you know, I, it's a huge learning curve. Um, but, and you're going to, you're going to kick yourself in the ass some days. Cause you're going to say, you know, I'm, I, I wish, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that, but you know what? Just go for it. And uh, if you ever want any help, I'm always here. You guys can go to my website, contact me, and I'd love to give any entrepreneur out there a little bit of advice if I, ha if I can. All right. That's, that's great. That's, that's amazing. So uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm going to stop the recording now, and maybe we can continue this conversation a little bit 
after I stop it. Okay, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. And, um, you know, Ben Taylor from Uprise Foods, thanks everybody who listened to this first podcast. All right, bye-bye.